Welcome to episode 78 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, ringing in from the Florida Keys again this week, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and I want to provide an update on T-Mobile and its fixed wireless access uh, rollout. It had an initial goal of a million, I'm, I'm sorry, half a million subscribers by the end of the year. It's already met that goal. It is uh, almost approaching mid-December, so they made it by, uh, by a hair. Um, so by all measures, they're executing very successfully. Com in comparison, Verizon, as of their fiscal 3Q, they were only up to 150,000. And AT&T has been very focused, um, obviously, with its uh, Gigafiber uh, product. So they've been less focused on fixed wireless access. But I think this is a tremendous accomplishment for T-Mobile. But the question is, can this lead to other subscriber revenue pools? And I think it can. I've talked in the past about how traditionally T-Mobile has been very consumer-centric in its services. But I do believe this provides a solid bedrock for them to build upon. And uh, this should lead to um, additional consumer revenue opportunities for them as, as well as enterprise. But would love to get your take on it, buddy. Yeah, well, first I was going to say, uh, you know, I can tell you're, you're in the Florida Keys because of the fishing poles. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think T-Mobile has shown that um, their mid-band network is really the, the core of this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Verizon will be able to um, extend their market size um, and the a potential amount of customers they serve with their mid-band spectrum once they roll it out, which we'll be talking about later in the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that most of Verizon's fixed wireless ambitions will transition to mid-band um, and millimeter wave will be, um, you know, as they see fit. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to be as aggressive in rolling out millimeter wave uh, once they start rolling out mid-band, which is something I'll be talking about as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think T-Mobile's accomplishments here are, are very legitimate. And I think their, their, their momentum will, will only continue to carry forward as they continue to build out this, this 2.5 gigahertz mid-band spectrum and uh, increase their, their pops beyond the 200 million they claim today into 250 and 300 million in you know, subsequent years. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity here to your point um, to enable small businesses. I think there's a huge opportunity um, mm -hmm. to enable small businesses because today, you know, my, my, both my parents are former small business owners. and I remember the process of trying to get internet to them and the prices they paid in this and the service they got. And um, I think there's a lot of small businesses out there that really could benefit from this. And that's ultimately one of the biggest economic drivers I think we, we could possibly have with, with these X fixed wireless rollouts. I agree. And I think you're spot on with respect to where T-Mobile should start to build its business service footprint. Should definitely be in the mid-market because that's an easier stretch than to jump right into enterprise and compete with AT&T and Verizon that have been well entrenched for a number of years. So uh, time will tell, but... Um, Kudos to T-Mobile on that accomplishment. But let's move to your first topic this week. And we've been talking a lot about the FAA and aviation interference concerns with CBN. And you want to provide an update. I saw this news break this week as well. Yeah, so um, the FAA came out with 
two state two like directives basically um that say that um there will need to be uh restrictions for pilots operating uh, automatic landing uh, um and other cockpit systems that are dependent on ground based or or you know their the radar that operates in the 4.2 gigahertz spectrum so um the interesting part is uh it specifically states that it's about bad weather conditions which is when you lack line of sight uh, as a pilot um but ultimately i don't think it really solves the issue here um of whether or not there really is enough interference to prevent planes from accurately calculating their altitude um, and safely. Um, I think that there should be pilot tests of this, you know, with 5G rolled out um, in an area where, you know, it isn't as much of a concern um, and fly a plane and try and land it and see if it affects the equipment at all. And I don't, I just don't think we ever got that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, every, all the data the FAA has is based on um, like helicopter test trials. Um, and, and even then it was really questionable whether we're actually using a 3GPP um, compliant network. Um, and and I, the numbers, I think it was like, there's something like 6,000 planes. Uh, yeah, 6,834 airplanes and 1,828 helicopters. So it's, a it's not even like, the vast majority of of planes and helicopters out there today it's actually mm -hmm. probably a very small percentage um because a lot of these are older equipment um so i think that there should be a combination of um slowly phasing these devices out um and upgrading them to ones with filters yeah. and also you know lowering power um transmissions in these areas um to a level that is considered acceptable you know it's I think both both parties need to make concessions, but at this point, the FAA is operating almost in a way that um, does not create concessions. And um, you know, the, the 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 climate where this had been created was simply a lack of um, communication and and um, willingness to work together between the FAA and the FCC, because um, you know, obviously they have very different end goals. Um, and there are some political, um, you know, concessions here as well that will probably need to be made because, uh, you know, the FCC was able to gather, you know, upwards of $90 billion, um, but, uh, or $80 billion, but, you know, FAA got none of it, right? So they probably right. are also wanting some of that, <laughs> some of a piece of that. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I just think that this situation is going to hurt Verizon. Uh, and AT&T, but the good thing is, is that um, it will probably continue to move, roll out forward and yeah. eventually we'll figure out the, the, the band situation specifically um, and, and what the power levels will have to be. But as, is, as it is right now, the FAA is trying to use this poison pill and saying, oh, you know, now we're going to have to cancel and delay all kinds of flights because of this directive. And yeah. um, until we fix, solve this solution, it's really going to hurt the airline industry. And of course, you know, there's tons of lobbying and, and lots of money involved with, with that component of the, the industry yeah. and how many times they've been bailed out. So, right. um, yeah, at this point, I think that uh, this has become a, a much bigger issue. And the truth is, everyone who understands the potential of 5G 
um, understands how critically important this is to the U.S. economy and mm-hmm. our growth as a, as a nation to roll 5G out. So we can't just, you know, act like 5G isn't viable. And to other, a lot of other people's points, Europe has 5G in the same band. Um, right. And it hasn't been as big of a problem as it was, as it is, it is in the U.S. And, yeah. you know, they rolled out their 5G around the same time as we have. Um, and they rolled it out earlier. So uh, I haven't heard of any planes crashing due to 5G. So I think it's a very questionable um, starting point for this discussion. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, the timing of this all, as we hopefully are exiting the pandemic, although we're seeing Omicron, you know, crop up, obviously. But, you know, this may be to your point, talking about the lobby effort with the airlines, the airlines have been severely financially handicapped with the lack of travel over the last two years. This may be somewhat of an overcorrection. Maybe the lobbyists that aren't educated enough about 5G um, are convincing, you know, who be, you know, and, you know, and the federal government, you know, about these concerns, but um, it'll, it'll be interesting. I did read about, you know, this concern around the, the power related to it as well. And I guess, my understanding, right, is that, that that's a temporary measure, right, for, for AT&T and Verizon to, to power down, right, in the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that by all means, you know, U.S. carriers have all kinds of problems, right? You know, they're not angels, but it really feels like the operators have made as many concessions as they could. Sure. And the airline industry and the FAA have just almost been, uh, at least initially, were not very receptive to any of it. Right. Um, so I, it just very, it feels very imbalanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, these operators spent tens of billions of dollars on this spectrum and it's like, yep. nobody really addressed this issue until mo- like a month before they were about to roll their band, their spectrum. Right. There needs to be definitely some middle ground here, but I'm sure we're going to continue to monitor the situation and report on it future podcasts, but let's move to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about Verizon. Their CEO, Mr. Vesberg, is quite confident. I will give Verizon credit. I believe relative to their other competitors in the US, they've done a fine job of espousing the actual practical benefits of 5G with their seven currencies or eight currencies or five currencies or whatever that is. But this week, Mr. Vesberg came out and spoke to the fact that he believed that Verizon had a two-year advantage over its major competitors in the U.S., very ambiguous, ambiguous statement. And, and even went as far as to say that he felt like that they had an advantage over other carriers on a global basis. Now, from my perspective, I follow Verizon very closely. They are, sometimes they play things very close to the chest. They're, they're not as open and, you know, and as expressive with the analyst community as their other competitors in the U.S. are. But um, I... I will give them credit from a mobile edge computing perspective. They have been the most aggressive. If you just go to their press you know, release website and view all of the, you know, the releases with, with AWS and what they're doing to enable mech, that makes perfect sense because their priority in deploying 5G has been in the millimeter wave band with their ultra wideband service. But I gotta throw some cold water on the fact that they're two years ahead of all of their other competitors. Would love to get your insights on this. Yeah, sorry, I had a, a little visitor here. Um, <laughs> I think that um, when you look at where they are today, 
was there a specific claim of what they were two years ahead on? I think it was just a very general blanket statement, but then as I double clicked into it, it, it was sort of centered on what they're doing with building out edge, edge computing capability. I mean, I but, can give them that, that, you know, I feel like they, they are ahead. I don't know about two years ahead. I think that two years ahead statement is very likely a very specific number because I have a feeling T-Mobile will probably be using the two years ahead uh, claim on Verizon when it comes to mid-band, when they roll out mid-band. Um, so I think this is more of a, uh, a reactive statement um, or, or even a preemptive reactive statement, right? So mm -hmm. it, they're, they're, they're trying to preempt uh, what they think T-Mobile is going to message around mid-band because obviously sure. AT&T can't do that because they're rolling it out together. So um, I think that they're trying to show some kind of leadership in a way that they couldn't do before. Um, and I, I think that when you look at what, what the climate is like for them, they do have a pretty good lead on mobile edge compute, but mobile edge compute's useless if you don't have coverage. Right. I agree. It's interesting. Well, we'll, uh, we'll keep our ears and eyes open on that one. Let's move to your second topic this week. And you want to provide a few updates with respect to regional 5G deployment, starting with AT&T. Yeah, so um, AT&T uh, is pretty big in Mexico. They've made some acquisitions there that uh, uh, and, and, and have grown their network there to um, be a, a pretty strong competitor in, in the 5G space. And I've used their, 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 their 4G back uh, pre-pandemic when I was in Mexico. Um, and it's fantastic. Um, so I'm excited to see what they're going to do there with their 5G rollout in Mexico, which is beginning now. Uh, another carrier, uh, Tim Brazil, which is, uh, you know, an Italian carrier, but has their Brazilian office, uh, is rolling out 5G in Brazil, as well as in Germany. Uh, the One of the uh, telecom regulators has stated that Germany has, uh, between all of its carriers, covered a total of 53% of the country, um, wow. which is a fairly large country, one of the biggest in Europe, if right. not the. Um, and uh, I think France might actually be bigger. But um, the, the truth is, is that like they said that at least one carrier uh, is providing 5G coverage in 53% of the country. So it's not all carriers, but that's yeah. still pretty good. And um, we'll see what happens, you know, as things move forward. But um, yeah, it's it's very interesting development. It's good to see global 5G is rolling out and, you know, we're going to continue to see momentum, especially as, you know, countries like India start to light stuff up later next year. Yeah. Europe has been somewhat behind the U.S. and China. And I've spoken to that on prior podcasts. That's really related to all of the different countries, separate regulations with respect to spectrum auctions and deployment and that sort of thing. So you've got to give Europe a little bit of you know, credit, but they're, they're pulling through pretty quickly. I'm not surprised to see Germany sort of leading the pack there. Germany is a very tech savvy country in general when you look at just, you know, the you know, kind of the adoption of, of technology in general. So uh, it is encouraging to see that, that other parts of the world um, are stepping up and, and making 5G a, rea a reality. I'm wondering, did you double click into the Germany story and um, what percentage of that is non-standalone versus standalone? I definitely don't know that detail. Um, okay. I, I think we'll have to look into it more, but I have a feeling the number's probably pretty low right now. Sure. Um, 
but uh, I think that's probably something we'll we'll have a much better idea for later next year um, because yeah. so many countries and so many operators are planning to roll out standalone next year. Makes sense. Makes sense. Didn't want to put you on the spot, but I was just curious there. But let's move to my third and final topic this week. I want to talk about NTT. And they commissioned an enterprise survey, and they wanted to find out where companies were at in their consideration of adopting private 5G. I've talked about this quite a bit on prior podcasts. And uh, it was quite bullish. So some of the results were, and by the way, the survey was uh, conducted by the Economist Impact or NTT. So, um, and they surveyed uh, IT executives in Germany, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the United States. And so it was interesting, over 80%, more than four in five uh, CIOs and senior leaders plan to deploy private 5G networks within the next two years. That's no surprise to me. I think especially in uh, companies that are uh, manufacturers, and I've spoken to this in the past, I believe over half the addressable market for private 5G will be in factory automation and that sort of thing. So this just sort of reinforces sort of what I already know, but it's also interesting, NTT is partnered with Solana and I've spoken with Sol- about Solana on prior podcasts. They were one of the first out of the, the gate with a 5G as a service offering. Solana is leveraging HPE's extensive channel partner network to uh, for referrals and that sort of thing to sell it in. And they've experienced um, you know, a lot of early success. So I don't know necessarily if that's coloring sort of NTT's conclusion that they want to take to the market, but certainly NTT is a partner of Solana's and they have a vast interest there. But wondering if you have any additional insight you like that. Yeah, I think um, to your point, I think the countries that would benefit from private 5G the most will be the ones who do a lot of manufacturing, mm-hmm. um, like the Japans, like the Germanys, and we're, we're seeing them lead the charge. So um, I, I think it's very um, fitting that we would see someone like an NTT do this kind of thing and, and see where businesses are at. But I would also say that a lot of Japanese businesses tend to be on the more conservative side. Um, yeah. So we'll see you know, how uptake looks, but I think it's important that their governments and their carriers are realizing what their, um, you know, what their companies might need before they even know it and helping to mature that ecosystem ahead of, you know, those companies' willingness or readiness to adopt the technology. Yeah, great insights. Well, let's go with your third and final topic. You want to talk about Verizon as well. Yeah, so in addition to making those claims around 5G leadership, they also talked about the fact that they exceeded their expectations for millimeter wave um, with rollouts of their um, millimeter wave sites um, hitting, I think, uh, you know, 14,000 additional sites, um, as well as um, being able to transition their focus towards C-band, which makes total sense when you consider the fact that um, as I had mentioned earlier in the podcast, I have a feeling Verizon's going to refocus its rollout of 5G infrastructure um, to be very heavily C-band focused. And um, while I don't think they've made commitments to millimeter wave uh, in the future uh, in mm-hmm. terms of numbers, which we know they'll, they'll still very much use millimeter wave and they're going to take advantage of a lot of um, you know 
the deployments they have today, taking advantage of millimeter wave, they've already shown some uh, carrier aggregation of millimeter wave with mid-band. And that was, you know, upwards of four gigabits per second. So there is already some talk of, of utilizing that millimeter wave footprint to benefit mid-band. But um, yeah. they do say that they expect C-band rollout to be 100 million pops by Q1 of this year. Um, and then uh, 250 million by the end of uh, 2024. So it's going to be, I would say, a bit of a slower rollout than some people would expect. Um, yeah. But it's clear that they've been building to this rollout because 100 million pops in, in the first quarter of your deployment. Um, Super aggressive. That's yeah. super aggressive, right? <laughs> it's pretty good. But, yeah. you know, to me, it looks like it's a spike and then like a slow ascent slow, slow. because yeah. um, by 2024, I believe T-Mobile will have over 300 million pops. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that um, their claim is what, 200 now and then 250. So they, they'll have 300 million pops um, before a year before that. So sure. Um, sure. It's going to be very interesting to see where um, Verizon lands, but to to this point, 250 million is T-Mobile's target by the end of next year. So that hits that two-year advantage, and that's why I think we heard um, Hans mentioning their two-year advantage. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, the the the, the jockeying back and forth for pops and claims and that sort of thing. But from my perspective, and you and I called this very early on, even before the merger closed, T-Mobile has been executing. You know, Mr. Sievert, uh, Mr. Neville Ray, um, they've, uh, they've been executing against their, their spectrum portfolio. But, uh, you know, at some point, AT&T and Verizon in the U.S. will catch up. It's just a matter of time, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out at the end. But this has been another great podcast, my friend. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone would like to reach out to us to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for another podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.